Hey there, folks. Iowa presents the other Republican candidates a chance to show their firepower against Donald Trump. But will voters even notice? I'm Aaron Young. Let's find out. Now, streaming right around the world, this is Ticker Today. And it's great to be with you wherever you are joining us from. Right around the world, also on Ticker Today, more drama in the Red Sea as Houthis attack an American cargo ship. But first... And we kick it off with Ticker Hot Shots today. Veronica Dudo is in New York for us after hosting in America today. Now, Veronica, in a bid to secure an early victory in the Iowa caucus, the former President Trump is now rallying Republicans as he seeks to solidify his influence within the party. I mean, that's what this is all about, right? Aside from the cold temperatures, the elephant in the room being Trump and whether or not he will be able to be the nominee, of course, for the party. That's right. It's the first in the nation contest. All eyes are on Iowa. It's certainly interesting that a major storm is hitting the Hawkeye state. But of course, they're used to extreme temperatures there. A lot of people are saying the snow, the wind, the, the sleet, it will not stop them, that they want their voices to be heard. Yeah, it, it really is an interesting one. Just give us an understanding of kind of what happens to here from here. Why is Iowa so important? We understand that the Trump strategy is really revolving around energizing his base, maintaining that strong presence in the crucial early states. But this is really the first time that they're pitted up against each other. Aside from seeing the polls, we are expecting Trump to sail through. But over recent days, polls showing Nikki Haley is starting to really build momentum. So in recent years, we have seen a lot of contradictory polls, and we have even heard from voters themselves who have been growing frustrated, and they're saying that they answer the opposite of what they're going to vote in polls, that they're trolling the pollsters. So that just adds a whole another layer of complexity to this entire situation. Of course, everyone would love to be able to see what's going to happen before it does, but we're going to have to wait and see the official count. But as you mentioned, Trump does look to be in the lead. And of course, you're starting to tally up, you know, listening to Vivek Ramaswamy, he had uh, some 200 events that he held on the ground. Uh, Governor Ron DeSantis, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, you know, he had uh, about a little bit less than, than that, some 100. So they have been canvassing the state and that area, and they're certainly trying. Now, what's also interesting is that there have been on network television here in America, some town halls and different events with yeah. the candidates. We did hear from former President Donald Trump. He said, you know, he does have a running mate in mind. So it sort of brings us to the second part to this as to would he be making his selection from some of the uh, other people that he's running against? Or is he maybe contemplating yeah. somebody who's not in the race right now? All right, let's move on to our next topic. Boeing has announced additional quality inspections for the 737 MAX aircraft. The decision comes as part of the company's ongoing efforts to address concerns and to raise trust, regain trust following uh, the 737 MAX model problems. I mean, there have been so many of them now, Veronica. Uh, we go back to the 737 MAX issues. Uh, I was watching a whistleblower from Boeing uh, on YouTube who was speaking to uh, one of the American networks over the past week following this incident on the Alaska Airlines jet. He said, as someone 
someone who has worked on the Boeing factory, he would not get on a 737 MAX style aircraft because he is so worried about the procedures. We have seen even the 787 there as well, uh, which is coming out of uh, Charlottesville where they, they make these planes, that there have been so many concerns about what happens on the factory floor. And this goes right back to 2005, where Spirit, which actually now makes the fuselage of the planes, the body of the plane, that split from Boeing and was sold to private equity. So a lot of questions are now emerging and we are seeing it play out in real life with these accidents. Absolutely. It's certainly extremely terrifying. There's so many people, depending on where you live here in the United States, they're called snowbirds. If you're trying to escape some of the colder states and go to those areas where it's warmer, or people are returning from the holidays, maybe an extension from uh, you know, the Christmas and New Year's. Also, we just have a lot of people who are interested to travel again, You know that pent-up desire from everything that people dealt with with COVID. So you know, it's January 2024, and and still, there's a lot of people traveling, not to mention just, you know, regular domestic flights and also business trips. So we're seeing this story continue in that uh, United Airlines and Alaska Airlines, that they're still grounding the planes. They just keep pushing it the next couple of days. So that just has so many, uh, you know, a ripple effect in terms of more flights that are canceled. So it's just an absolute nightmare. But it is interesting, you know, where we're seeing, you know, what's happening in the aviation industry. Yeah. Obviously, you know, we see a lot of headlines with electric vehicles mm. and drones. And, mm. you know, do you think maybe that, uh, you know, passion for igniting change and new ideas in aviation is maybe leaving that sector? I mean, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. I think it's all just commercial, right? It's capitalism. The idea mm -hmm. is you, you have a look at the 737 MAX. It's based on the same kind of plane design from the 1950s of the 737. Um, and that's because airlines don't want to spend the money on pilot training. So it's incremental change as opposed to revolutionary change, which comes back to, I guess, the problem uh, with, with their whole structure. So it is a tricky one. Keen to know your thoughts. Uh, if you're watching out there, of course, you can email us news at tickernews.com also use the hashtag ticker we would love to hear your thoughts as well veronica always good to chat same here Yemen's Houthi rebels issued a stark warning vowing to target American vessels, escalating tensions in the Red Sea as a response. An increasing number of oil tankers are now altering their routes, steering clear of potential danger zones. The Houthi threat comes in the midst of heightened geopolitical tensions, raising concerns about the safety of maritime activities in the strategic waters surrounding Yemen. The United States has deployed additional naval assets in the area. All right, Taiwan voted over the weekend for another four years of the DPP for China. It was the worst possible outcome, and the world is now waiting for Beijing's formal response. In a moment, we'll speak with David Zhang from China Insider. But first, how did Taiwan's election unfold over the weekend? Let's start in Taiwan. It's the election the whole world was watching, an outcome that could change the course of politics in the APAC region. That's exactly why they've decided to give the DPP four more years in Taiwan. Four more years for a party now entering its third term. In recent years, Taiwan has become a major battleground in the great power rivalry between China and the United States. Beijing considers Taiwan a renegade province that must be reunited. Taiwanese public opinion has shifted, though, 
with a majority of the population now identifying themselves as Taiwanese rather than Chinese. And while the opposition is mourning its loss... But unfortunately, I failed to bring a change in government. It's not exactly great news for the DPP either. That means that, you know, this is not a president who can claim a mandate or a majority. So the question is, how will China respond to Taiwan's democratic elections? And what does it mean for the region? Okay, for more, we are joined by David Zhang from China Insider in New York. David, when we look back in the history books, how do you think we'll remember this election from Taiwan? A pivotal moment? Definitely. I think this is the watershed moment when Taiwanese people will continue to vote for the further elections based on the identity that is Taiwanese rather than the historical Thailand association with mainland China. Uh, I've been talking about this idea that this is a shift between two identities, and one of them is clearly gaining more ground, as we just saw in the package there with the DPP winning the third term. I think more and more, especially the younger generation of uh, Taiwanese people, they don't have that association of identity with the mainland China as Chinese, but rather the distinct identity as Taiwanese. I think that's going to change the future of elections in Taiwan. How do you think Beijing will respond to this? The world has been watching so far. We've seen Beijing reacting to global leaders congratulating Taiwan's new president. They're not happy about that. Definitely, but I think there's a very limited amount of things they can really do. I think they're more uh, more mad about the fact that uh, these countries are congratulating Taiwan, which implicitly means that they are recognizing Taiwan's governance in a sense. And so Beijing is is unable to. Uh, they're sort of stuck in a place where they can't really focus too much on Taiwan's election itself because that would mean that they recognize there's an alternative form of ruling the Chinese population uh, under democracy, but then they can also not do too much to outside of that because, you know, these are other sovereign countries who can choose to do what they want to do with Taiwan. So I think they're really limited in that response, and I don't see them uh, having any sort of uh, reactions outside of that. We did see a country, uh, an island nation, Nauru today, that uh, did switch their recognition. But I think uh, it, it's not as big as we imagine. 2027 being an important centennial uh, moment for China, for the Communist Party as well. A lot of people questioning whether 2027 will be the year of World War III as well, or perhaps leading up to it uh, because China, Beijing may want to have Taiwan secure by then. What are your thoughts on this and what does the election in Taiwan over the weekend mean for, for people who believe that? Yeah, so this election, President Lai will be presiding over that important year, uh, this date when China is supposedly readied for the invasion. So I think by the voters' intention to allow the DPP and Lai to continue the path they've walked for the last eight years under the DPP is a sign that I think they place more trust and confidence in the party to walk this path of maintaining the status quo and, and to be closer to that of other democracies around the world. I think that alone tells us that this is what the resolve of the Taiwanese people is aiming to achieve. Uh, I don't think they're afraid of what's coming. But my current assessment with China's domestic issues is that I don't think they're ready at this moment uh, for that 2027 date. But we'll have to see if things change. But I, I think that so far the, the chance of invasion, I uh, wouldn't say is not happening, but I think it's a little bit smaller than before, given China's domestic issues.
David, you make such a great point, given China's domestic issues. They're only set to get worse. The Chinese economy in a pretty bad spot. No signs it will improve manufacturing. It seems to be leaving China as well from Western companies. So does that mean that if we say it's bad now and it's going to get worse, is there a diminishing chance that Taiwan will be attacked by China? You could see that way. Uh, of course, there's also the other example, right, with Nazi Germany before World War II happened. The state of the country was also in chaos, and they exported said uh, those blames against the Jewish population, and yeah. then that started the, the Second World War. But I, I think the point here to make is that generalizing, based on what we're seeing, China is a country of one billion plus people, and they can't have a state of economy that's so bad. I think to the point where people are unable to, you know, get jobs to meet their basic needs, I think at that point, it is really irrational for mm. the, the Xi Jinping to launch an invasion with all that's happening domestically. All right, David Zhang from China Insider there in New York. Really appreciate your time as always. Thank you. And that is a program for now. You can catch it anytime at tickernews.co plus all of the day's breaking stories. I'm Aaron Young. Do hope to see you soon. You're watching Ticker. We'll have more in just a few minutes.